Thank you, Doug, for that warm welcome. It is good to be back with you again. I've known your pastor for a number of years as well. He finished his Doctor of Ministry degree back in 2004, and I was director of the program at that time, and we've had a, a good relationship, amazingly so, ever since, uh, but a good relationship nevertheless. He did very well in that program. Uh, it is good to see so many smiling faces as, as well today as we, we have come out of the, the COVID season. Uh, I hope you're still smiling at the, the end of the message. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard when you're speaking only to a camera. A year ago, we preachers were only speaking to a camera, and, and now we're getting live feedback. And in some ways, it's very positive. In some ways, it's a little daunting as well, but it is good to be here today. And it's good to see that this congregation is coming out of the, the COVID season, what appears to me at least so well. As Doug had mentioned, I was here last summer. We were out under the, the tent at that point, but to, to be back in the sanctuary with two services, all the chairs are back in the sanctuary set up. There's no directional paths for, for coming in and going out and so on. So it is good to see that uh, in many ways we are at least getting back to something of uh, normalcy, but, but we're not quite there yet, not, not quite there. We won't really know that we're back to normal until we have coffee once again in the foyer. When, when we have coffee in the foyer, then we'll know that we're pretty well back. I'm glad I heard that amen, by the way, over here. Uh, we do appreciate those times of fellowship before and after services with, uh, with coffee. But, you know, some people are really struggling to come out of the, out of the COVID season. Um, people affected by the isolation. Uh, people affected by health concerns, especially if, if they or loved ones have had COVID. Some have even lost loved ones be, because, of, because of COVID. Uh, people may be lonely. They're, they're hurting. It's a, it's a struggle. The isolation has, in many ways, impacted all of us, and that doesn't just change overnight because we're uh, allowed to be free of some of the, of the restrictions and I, and I think some of that struggle actually started before the pandemic. I think we can say that there has been some societal deterioration in the ability to have committed re human relationships for a number of years now. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about how societal relationships have, have deteriorated, the breakdown of the family. And, and, and the family was intended to, uh, to, to be the uh, the the place where intimacy, where relationships are supposed to flourish, the, the emotional and physical in, intimacy in the family is uh, what God wants to use to develop us in our relationship with, with Him. You see, God has called the Christian to spiritual intimacy. People crave intimacy, and God has called believers to spiritual intimacy. And yet, we struggle with that at times, uh, especially with the pandemic. It, it's maybe become more easy for us to kind of live in a relationship with Christ on our own, more convenient to stay at home. And yet, that's not exactly how God designed us. We are the family of God, after all. If, if the family, the, the, the nuclear family, is designed to be the place where we are most nurtured, 
then in the family of God, that's where we also find our greatest nurture in our relationship with God. That's what our passage this morning talks about. It's a passage in verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews 10 that speaks about our relationship with God and with each other. It's a passage that follows on a section where the writer of Hebrews is talking about the doctrine of Christ, who Jesus is and what he has done. What he has done especially through his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. The once for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin that we might have a relationship with God. And as we go forward this morning, I would ask you to be sure to have your Bible open or your phone uh, tuned into this passage, your, uh, possibly your tablet, have scripture open on your tablet as we go through this passage. We're going to see that uh, the doctrine of Christ and salvation has certain implications for us. There are Old Testament foundations that the writer here is drawing into our understanding of our relationship with God, but very practical, very practical implications for our Christian life. God calls us to intimacy through three key exhortations in this passage. That's what we want to look at this morning. Three key exhortations to intimacy in this passage. And the first one is simply this. Let us draw near. Let us draw near to God. Look with me again at verses 19 through 22. The passage reads this way. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's the exhortation, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. These verses make it very clear to us that we have access to God, the God of the universe. Believers have direct access to the God of the universe. Now, as, a, as amazing as that may be, what's amazing more is that it's, it's nothing to do with us. <laughs> it's all to do with what Christ has done for us. We haven't earned that access to God. It's not dependent upon us. Our access to God is totally based on what Jesus has done for us, not anything that we have done for ourselves. And yet we have confidence. Our confidence isn't in ourselves. Our confidence is where? Our confidence is in Christ. Confidence in drawing near is in the work of Christ. Look at the passage, verse 19. We have confidence to enter the most holy place, referring here to the temple, the place where the priest went only once a year to be in the very presence of the God of the universe. And going into that most holy place where God resides by the blood of Jesus. The reference here is to the cross. The cross, we've been singing this morning a great deal about the cross. The cross where Jesus died that we might have forgiveness of sin once and for all. The cross where Jesus died to pay the penalty that we deserved, that we might have access to God. 
But it goes on from the cross, from this forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus. It goes on in verse 20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is, his body. Remember, on Good Friday, the day Jesus was crucified, the curtain that separated people from God was torn because of the death of Christ. His body died, but then three days later, it was raised to life. And that is why in our passage it says that we can have confidence by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. His body was raised to new life. We have a living Savior. We have a living access into our relationship with God. We've been singing about his resurrection this morning as well. But it doesn't stop there. This confidence that we have is based not only on the cross and his shed blood, not only on his resurrection and the living way, it's also based on the fact that in verse 21, we have a great priest over the house of God. This reflects back on Jesus' ascension, ascension into heaven, where he's at the right hand of the Father doing what? Well, we sang about this this morning as well. He's interceding for us interceding for us. Do you know that right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you and you and you and you and even Doug <laughs> and me. Every moment of every day, Jesus is at God's right hand praying for us. And I think one of the prayers that he's praying for us is that we would have intimacy with the Father through access by his blood, his resurrection, his intercession at God's right hand. You see, this, this Old Testament in imagery paints a picture of the fact that we have an audience with God on the basis of God's word, not anything that we have done, but on the basis of God's word. We don't have to speculate about our access to God. It's guaranteed by Jesus. We have confidence because of what he's done for us. So, what's the implication? Well, it's actually, in our passage, an exhortation. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. What an exhortation that is. We have the opportunity every day, any time every day, to have an audience with the God of the universe. And yet so often we neglect to take that opportunity for an audience with the God of the universe. It has to do with our personal worship, our devotion, our experience of intimacy with God. And yet, even as we are exhorted to draw near, we must remember that there is still a barrier that needs to be addressed when it comes to our intimacy with God. Not access, but intimacy with God. And this has to do with the fact that there is still sin in our lives. Now, Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin once and for all. It is gone. We have that positional standing before God. God sees us as perfect in Christ, and yet we know that sin, sin still creeps into our lives, that we are growing in our walk with Christ, and that in order to be right with God, even as believers in our relationship with Him, we must come in sincerity of heart, 
sincerity of heart, believing that Jesus did die for us, that our sins are forgiven, believing that we have a living way, believing that he is at God's right hand interceding for us, come in full assurance of that faith. That's what the passage says. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And confession, repentance, with our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. We need to be progressively cleansed. We have positional standing in Christ before God. But we need to be progressively cleansed in our relationship with God, both in our conscience, in our heart, in our lives, our thoughts, our motives, our words, our behaviors. And so when we are coming into God's presence, it's always with a sense of confession and repentance and devotion as we seek His grace, as we seek to experience His love his power, and his holiness. You see, this, this cleansing is, is, again, an Old Testament image from proselytes coming into Judaism. They had to have certain rites performed. One of them had to do with cleansing. And he's using this to show us that though we have positional standing in Christ, access to God, we still must have daily cleansing by the power of the Holy Spirit to develop that intimacy of the relationship that we have with him. Now, we've been talking a lot about doctrine, theory. I mean, this is just theory, right? Not intended to be. That's why it's a practical implication as an exhortation. Draw near to God. Do this. You have confidence. You have the foundation laid in Christ. Have sincere faith, full assurance of faith, cleansing of the conscience, washed outer actions of our body, right with God, quiet times daily. We need personal time with God. Daily, 10 or 15 minutes, maybe in the morning, maybe in the late afternoon, before supper, maybe at night, before bed, doesn't matter when, but we need to heed this exhortation and have time alone with God to strengthen us in our walk with Him. Maybe it's many devotionals. Maybe it's throughout the day where we have one or two minutes where we have a chance to just pause, calm ourselves, think through what's going on in the chaos around us, reappropriate the presence of God Maybe it's sometime during the day when we realize that our thoughts have gone astray, maybe even gone to evil and we need cleansing. Maybe it's throughout the day where we've said harmful words to someone else and we need to get right with God and with that person. And so we enter into God's presence and ask to reappropriate the Holy Spirit in our lives as we walk with Him. So it could be quiet times, many devotionals. It could be this reappropriation of the Spirit throughout the day. Maybe even extended times occasionally where you simply sit down with God's Word for a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour and just commune with God, experiencing the intimacy that we have with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we need this. We need this in our walk with God because of the chaos that surrounds us. It's supposed to be experiential, not just theoretical. Personal time alone with God for me and for you is essential if we are to grow in intimacy 
with our Father. But there's a second exhortation as well along these lines. And the second exhortation is found in simply one verse, verse 23 of our passage. And it reads this way. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly. It's kind of an awkward word. I prefer hold on tight or hold firmly or, uh, you know, just hold fast to the hope that we profess. You see, we have an assurance of faith in Christ, but now we're going to apply that faith to the future. That's what hope is. We're going to apply faith to the future. Hold on tight to that hope. Why? Because he who calls you is faithful. Our profession of hope is grounded in the faithfulness of God. He will fulfill his promises. The foundation for our profession is God's faithfulness. He is a good God. He is a powerful God. He will bring us through whatever we face in our relationship with him. It doesn't mean that it might not hurt at times. Life is full of pain. Life is full of trials. It doesn't say that we are exempt from worldly issues and worldly challenges. But it does mean that as God promises to get us through into his presence throughout eternity, he will fulfill that promise. And so we can hold on fast in our relationship with God because he's faithful. But what we're really talking about here is perseverance. This is perseverance that we're talking about in, the, in this particular verse. Perseverance in Christ while living in a world of uncertainty. And, and you have to agree, we're, we're living in a, in a world full of great uncertainty in the last couple of years and, and even now. Uncertainty in, in terms of our uh, health issues. Uh, uncertainty in terms of political issues. Uh, uncertainty in terms of financial challenges, uncertainty because of spiritual opposition from the evil one. We have seen all kinds of uncertainty with, with the pandemic, with political unrest, financial challenges, spiritual opposition, all kinds of uncertainty. But we hold on. We persevere in Christ because we have full assurance of faith and because God is faithful. Yet this is problematic for many. Many, even Christians, struggle with this reality in their lives as we come out of the pandemic. And yet it's clear, God makes it clear that we are secure in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, most of us know the second half of that chapter about God working things together for good, Paul goes on to say that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And, and listen to what he says in verses 38 and 39. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise! 
What a promise that is. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can hold fast. We can hold fast because God is faithful. Think with me. I mean, we could go all the way back to the fall, but we're not going to go all the way back to the fall and considering God's faithfulness. But let's just go back 20 years. Let's just think for a few minutes about the last 20 years. 9-11, the terrorist attack, what an upheaval that was for our country and for many, many people. Think of 07-08, serious, serious recession, huge financial upheaval for many, many people, believers. Think of the military conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Today's Memorial Day, and we, we celebrate those in the military who have lost their lives. Uh, and many of them may have been believers as well. The, the pandemic, going through the pandemic in the last 18 months, the, the upheavals of, of race, the political upheavals. The last 20 years, think of all we've been through but here we are. God got us through. God got us through. Whether you're here in this room or viewing online, we're still here. We're still walking in faith. We still have hope. Isn't that amazing? That's because of God, not because of us. You see, there is no aspect in this world in which we can put our hope for eternity. Nothing. There is no aspect of the world around us that deserves our hope. Don't put your hope in anything in this world. It will fail you. Our hope must be in God and God alone. And we experience that hope through our intimacy with him. We say Jesus is Savior in full assurance of faith. We say Jesus is Lord because he is Lord over this world. In this world we'll have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He is Lord. And so we have faith and we have hope and it creates vital Christian life in us through our intimacy with God. Now this is basic foundational stuff. I, I find it's best as an itinerant speaker to generally focus when I speak on very basic foundational truths, and that's what these are. Jay is very good about dealing with many, many biblical issues relating to your lives and the world around us, but I find that we need reminders of the biblical foundations that we have in Christ. And this vertical relationship that we have with God is crucial. We need time with him if we are to grow in faith and grow in hope. Intimacy with God. But the passage doesn't stop there. It goes on to the horizontal aspect of our relationships with other believers because that's a catalyst to our intimacy with God. And so the final exhortation is, let us consider how we may stimulate one another in these ways. Look at verse 24 and 25 of our passage. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. <sighs> Beloved, we need help in our perseverance. I do. I think Scripture makes it clear that all believers need help in our faith, in our hope, and in our perseverance. Christ compels us to an intimate relationship with God. Christ also compels us to involvement with other believers as a catalyst towards that intimacy with God. We need help with our faith and hope. And it revolves around love for one another within the body of Christ. Now, this exhortation in these two verses is actually threefold. The actual exhortation is that we need to consider how to stimulate one another in all of these ways in our relationship with God. But, but we need to recognize that we consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, stimulating love and good deeds. Well, I use the word stimulating. The NIV uses the word spur. Isn't that an interesting word? Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Think of what spurs are. You've seen old westerns. You know that it's cowboys that wear the spurs on their boots. And you know what those spurs do to the horse that the rider is riding. In, in horse racing, uh, the riders use whips, but here the idea is spurs with cowboys. And what they do is they're sharp, pointed attachments to their boots, and the cowboy jams them into the behind, the buttocks, if you will. Can I say that? Can I say that? Okay. Jams them into the buttocks of the horse to do what? To get the horse moving, to get the horse running, to motivate the horse, to stimulate the horse. I find this is a very interesting image for the writer of Hebrews to use that, that we spur each other on, motivate, we stick each other, we give it to each other, if you will, to get us to do what God has created us to do within the body of Christ, love and good deeds, loving each other because he first loved us, good deeds, serving each other so that we get out of our comfort zones. Go beyond simply being Christians of convenience to Christians with commitments. You see, a personal relationship with God is sufficient for all that we need. But how much more could our lives be filled with the intimacy of God if we experience that collectively. And, and this is unfortunately where social media, electronic worship, Zoom meetings uh, do not serve us well. That may be the best we can do. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to disparage people who are viewing online today. That may be the best we can do, and that's good. But it's not sufficient when we're talking about, it's not, it's, not, it's not the catalyst that God wants when we need to be in, in proximity to each other, having a physical presence with each other, that emotional, physical stimulation, meeting together as we become more like Jesus. That's why he goes on to say meeting together, stimulating one another, 
You can do that to a certain extent online. But how much better is it when there is a physical presence, when we're shoulder to shoulder, face to face, able to touch, able to see expressions, body language, how much better is it? And so he says, verse 25, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This, this means we need to be together for, for fellowship, koinonia, if you will. Koinonia as a body, collective worship, instruction and teaching, the togetherness is part of what motivates us to grow in our faith and our hope and our love. It's community in the biblical sense. Biblical community means a community of presence, tangible presence with each other. It's an opportunity to bond together, to share self, significant sharing of self. That's what koinonia is all about. What's amazing to me is that according to verse 25, even in the first century, there were already people neglecting that. We think so highly of the Christians in the first century, but they had their struggles just like us. They preferred comfort and convenience just like we do. And so some of them were already neglecting this biblical community, this gathering together. But what happens when we follow this directive, this exhortation of gathering together and stimulating one another? We're encouraged. That's what it says. Let us encourage, encouraging one another. Encouragement, giving concern, bearing one another's burdens, showing compassion, giving support in whatever ways it might be needed. Life on life. That's the biblical model for growth in Christ. That's the biblical model for experiencing faith and hope and love. It motivates into the, us into the presence of God even as we are involved with others. I think this is why in the New Testament the practice of hospitality was so important. That's true in the Old Testament as well, but throughout Scripture, hospitality was so crucial because of this personal presence being something that we desperately need as human beings. But we experience it as well in collective worship. It is so nice to not have to worship online anymore for those of us who are here. Now again, I don't want to disparage those who are watching online. That may be the best you can do and God takes account of that and God blesses that. But you know, when we are here present singing the songs that we sang today, there's something unique about that that you don't get online. Hearing other people sing, seeing other people's gestures, experience the, the Holy Spirit in a collective way. You know what? This is what we made, we're made for because this is what heaven's going to be like. This is what we were made for. This is what heaven is going to be like. Jesus himself made this clear in Matthew 18, verse 20. Matthew 18, verse 20 is talking about issues of sin and confession and repentance within the body. But he goes on to say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Very simple little statement. Now, you may say, well, what does that mean? 
Well, we already know that Jesus is with every one of us as believers in Christ every moment of every day. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus resides in us. He's always with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's a mystical reality. So why does Jesus say that when two or three are together, he's with them? Because there's something mystical about that. There's something about being with other believers where Jesus in me and Jesus in you identifies us as believers in Christ. I see Jesus in you. You see Jesus in me. We hear his voice. We sense his presence. There is something mystical, unique about gathering together in the name of Jesus as believers, whether it's two or three or 200 or 300, 2,000 or 3,000. There's something unique about that that we cannot get any other way in our walk with Christ. We need each other, beloved. We need each other to experience Christ working in us and through us. Now, this could be as simple as just having a prayer partner that you pray with during the week. It might be as simple as as maintaining small groups, having accountability partners within small groups. It might be simply having meals together, having sharing meals together, sharing our common life in Christ together. It might be as simple as that. And yet, our times of collective presence within the body of Christ are essential to our spiritual well-being and to our intimacy with God. But look at that final phrase of our passage. He says, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to need this more and more as that day approaches. What day is that? The return of Christ. He's speaking here of the return of Christ. We've talked about the cross. We've sung about the cross. We've talked about the resurrection. We've sung about the resurrection. We've talked about his ascension to the right hand of God. And we've sung about that this morning. But you know, the lion and the lamb, he's coming again. He's coming again. And that's what this is referring to. And you know what? The chaos is going to continue to grow. The problems of this world will not decrease. The problems of this world will increase for believers. We need each other's encouragement more and more and more as the day of Christ's return comes closer and closer and closer. But when he comes, he'll make it all right. When he comes, he will make it all right. And so we persevere. So we persevere in intimacy with God, in full assurance of faith. Profession of our hope. We persevere. Our faith and our hope and our love are all interwoven in our relationship with God and with other believers. Our personal time with God is crucial. Our collective time with each other is crucial. Bottom line, intimacy with God through Christ is solidified by involvement with others in Christ. And as that faith and hope and love grows in our relationship with God and with each other, it overflows to the people around us. It overflows to those with whom we we work with, our neighbors. The people around us see that faith, hope, and love. God lifts us from our selfishness God lifts us from our self-centeredness 
to a Christ-centeredness, a collective and individual Christ-centeredness, and we need each other for that. But it takes time and energy. It's a matter of commitment. It won't just happen without commitment, without setting aside time, without setting aside energy for God and for each other. It's a matter, beloved, of priorities. But I'm convinced that if we will make these priorities in our lives, we will grow together. We will grow together in Christ. We will have an enthusiasm for Jesus and for his people, and we will have a contagious faith and hope and love manifesting a vital Christianity. I'm going to close this morning this way for you, and it is simply this coming from our passage. I want to challenge you this morning to make it a priority to draw near to God. Make it a priority to hold fast to the hope you profess and to consider how you can stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus, who we've celebrated this morning and the work that he has done on our behalf in bringing us into the very presence of the God of the universe. Heavenly Father, strengthen our faith, strengthen our hope. May we persevere joyfully as we do so arm in arm with other believers encouraging each other that we might live vibrant Christian lives and bring glory to Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. <laughs>